Thank you for joining us for Time in the Chapel. Each week we eagerly try to discover what God has been saying to us since time began and even further back than that. Sometimes it's right on the surface. Sometimes we have to dive a little bit deeper, but either way we do our best lean not on our own understanding in all our ways acknowledge him and expect that he will direct our paths so grab your bible prepare your hearts and minds hit the pause button long enough to pray for the help of the holy spirit and then join me as we open up the treasures of god's word have you ever heard of the sinner's prayer now, if you've spent the majority of your religious experience in traditional denominations, then most likely you have not. Now, we've talked about this a few times before. It goes something like this. Some preacher, pastor, or minister will give an emotional appeal for lost souls to come forward to accept Christ. That's called an altar call. Invariably, when the pastor calls for that, a few do go forward. Now, if you were one of them, someone would sit you down and have you repeat something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I, do not, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. And I cannot save myself, and I cannot save myself. It goes on like that for a few minutes then it usually ends with you accepting Christ in your heart. Now, the intention is that the person repeating this so-called prayer would, in so doing, pledging, being pledging himself or herself to Christ and thereafter begin their life as a Christian. Well, I always say, good thing there is no money-back guarantee mentioned in that prayer. In Deuteronomy, we are told, thy shoes shall be iron and brass. Now that's a promise. Unusual, yes, but it's a promise nonetheless. God is promising, according to Deuteronomy 33:25, shoes of iron and brass. Of course, that doesn't mean that God will literally give you a pair of iron and brass shoes. This is one of those moments where you have to read into what is said. And you know, the Bible is full of that sort of thing. There are things that you must take literally, and then there are things that you must read into. In other words, there are things in the Bible that you can't and mustn't take on face value, if you will. Jesus said, I am the door to the sheepfold. Jesus is not a door. He's using an allegory. He's using a comparison. Though he said he was the door, he wasn't a door. He was a man. You're not to take everything on face value, and the Holy Spirit is your guide on this. Deuteronomy 33.25 is metaphorical. Metaphorically speaking, this verse is saying that everyday normal shoe leather is not going to cut it on this adventure. Now, chapter 33, quickly, of Deuteronomy, 
is Moses blessing the tribes of Israel before he dies. This happens to be the promise, the blessing to the tribe of Asher. But like everything else in God's word, there's more to it than that. I just wanted you to know that. God here in Deuteronomy 33:25 is saying that this life is going to take shoes that are tough. You're going to need a strong pair of shoes when you walk with God. Now, if you're new to Christianity or you're not yet a Christian, it may come as a surprise to you that nowhere in his word does God say that the way of his children is going to be trouble-free. In fact, I believe that once you do decide to live for Christ, you will start to have obstacles you never thought were possible. You see, when you accept Christ, when you repent, when you change your mind from the way the world does things to the way God does things, you have, in essence, escaped the devil's clutches. And he doesn't like it. Have you ever, I use this analogy quite often, have you ever seen the effort that goes into finding an escaped felon? I mean, every police force within miles of a prison are mobilized. Every tool at the disposal of the prison warden is brought to bear on finding and returning the escapee. There's helicopters and dogs and hundreds of officers and radios and GPS and volunteers. It becomes a major operation, even if it's only one person that escaped. It's a very common prison tactic. Do you know why they go to such trouble to find these people? Of course, we're told that the prisoner is considered dangerous to the community. Sure. Now, that may be one reason they expend so many resources, but the main reason, listen to me, is to try and discourage the other prisoners from trying the same thing. You see, doing everything possible to make the life of this new escapee miserable serves as a powerful deterrent for those that are still on the inside. The manpower, the technology, the effort very often rival military operations. At least some of the intention of such an all-out blitz is plain and simple harassment. Make life outside the walls of the prison appear unnecessarily menacing. And all of this is done with the purpose to encourage the runaway to return. Get the one who had the guts to get away to regret the decision. The warden doesn't want that prisoner running around telling people 
how much better it is on the outside than the inside. That's the real danger. The guy in charge of keeping that prisoner in bondage doesn't want it to appear that life is easier on the outside of the prison. Well, that just so happens to be the very same tactic used by the keeper of the gates of hell. I'm here to tell you, when you give your life to Christ, you have escaped the prison of the underworld and the warden Satan is coming after you. He will hound you in order to cause you to regret your decision. He's going to try to get you to question the wisdom of your choice because if you question the wisdom of your own choice, the last thing you're going to want to do is share that decision with your loved ones. You will hesitate if you're regretting what you did all along. That's Satan's job. You've left. You're out of the fold. There's nothing he can do about that, but he sure can prevent you from trying to do it to somebody else. And just like every miserable moment that the convicted and sentenced felon experiences upon escape from his prison serves as a warning to the others still on the inside, the trials imposed on you by Warden Lucifer will give those still in the clutches of sin an excuse to stay put. And at least that's his intention. Billy Joel, the uh, famous American rock star, had several top hits over the years. But the lyrics of one song has always rung in my ears as an indication of how the world sees the life of a Christian. The line goes, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Well, there's a surprising bit of reality in that verse. If you think that giving your life to Christ means everything is going to become fluffy clouds and harp concerts, you're going to be disappointed. How's that for encouragement? Not so sure you want to be a Christian anymore, are you? Listen, I want you to understand what's at stake. So many people leave the church because they consider it a fraud. They've been lied to and fooled by men. And then they blame God. I'm not going to let that happen here. If you're a Christian, and your life is full of turmoil and reverses, it's quite likely that Satan is attacking you. The devil wants you to suffer for your decision, and that sneaky sucker tries to make it look like it's God's fault. 
God never promised you a life of ease down here on this planet. I'll say it again. You had the temerity to escape Satan, and he wants you to regret it. But listen, listen to me. You're not alone. The trouble you're going through, you're not going through alone. Jesus knows what you're going through. The purpose behind this lesson is to tell you to hang on, to tell you help is available, to tell you that God is still on the throne. He's still in charge. How do I know that? Because he has given you shoes that are iron and brass. Listen, long ago, he knew this wasn't going to be easy for you and me. The challenges in this life are no surprise to him. I've said to you before, Jesus will never say, whoa, I didn't see that coming. God is in charge even when life seems to be its most difficult. When I first arrived at Kunsan Air Base, South Korea in 1990, I was issued a parka. It was the one and only time in my Air Force career that I was ever given one of those. You see, all of my assignments before and after were actually in the deep south of the United States. No need for a parka in Florida or Georgia. But apparently there was going to be a need for a parka in Korea. Now, the day I arrived in country, it was a gorgeous late summer day. But the moment they handed that coat to me, I knew that wasn't going to last. And let me tell you, that was one awesome coat. It was well built. It seemed to be designed perfectly for the environment. And let me tell you, it looked expensive. And they were just giving it to me. But why? Why were they just giving this to me? Well, of course, it's because the ones in charge knew it was going to be cold. Okay, then. Then why didn't they tell you to get your own coat? Why didn't they say, hey, before you leave, get yourself a heavy coat because you're going to Korea? Why didn't they just give me a historical report on the past 40 or so winters along with directions to the nearest Burlington Coat Factory? Why did they give me a coat instead of letting me provide my own? Well, for one, they probably figured that if I would have provided my own coat, it wouldn't have properly fit the situation. I mean, they knew what it was like there, and I didn't. I had never been to Korea before. And besides, 
I was an aircraft mechanic. We worked outside. And not every coat out there would help me in my situation. I mean, left to me, I'd buy myself a nice, fashionable, full-length leather coat with very nice, pretty, furry inside. I sure would look nice on the ramp, but wouldn't help me in my job. Listen, I had never worked on an airplane in anything heavier than a field jacket. I didn't know. The coat I might bring may protect me from the cold, but maybe it'll hinder me in accomplishing my mission in some other way. Those in charge knew the situation, and they knew what would best fit. That's number one. The military gave me that coat because they knew I would probably be unable to provide myself one that would adequately serve my purpose in being there. That's number one. Number two. The number two reason why they gave me a coat is because they sent me there. They sent me there. They were the ones that wanted me there. Listen, I didn't volunteer to go halfway around the world. I would not have chosen to spend my time there. Korea is a lovely country, but it's not it is not where I wanted to be at that time in my life. But according to the military, the ones that owned my movement at that time said that I had to go there, so they sent me. And listen, since they sent me, they did the honorable thing and provided what I needed at their cost. When I went to Korea, I was provided for out of wisdom and honor. One of the missions of Chapel Ministries is to get you to understand that there is a purpose for your life. There is a reason that you were born. There is a reason that God called you. And believe it or not, no matter what someone else told you, no matter what you may have told yourself, God didn't call you to a life of luxury. Some of you may have been blessed with luxury by God. Okay. But that's what fits his mission for your life. God called you for his purposes. Unless you get that concept firmly planted in your head, you will never be able to make sense out of any of this. God saved you so he could use you to further his kingdom. Now, I know that may disappoint you. But as you get to know him, you will see the beauty and righteousness in that. You see, 
because God called you to himself, he has obligated himself to you. And no, it's not just because he's honorable. He most definitely is. But he obligated himself to you because he's wise. God called us to action, and so he must equip us. Those brass and iron shoes tell us this is going to be a tough journey. The promise of iron and brass shoes tells us that God knows what you're going to go through. He is not unaware of the difficulty of his calling. And his word tells us that. Deuteronomy 33.25 tells us that. That's why you must read and understand your Bible. Too many Christians step off this path because the trip was hard and it surprised them. And I really don't blame them for that. I don't blame those Christians that decided to turn back because it was too hard. I believe most of the time their disappointment is a result of the negligence of those that have been called to teach them. The one that shared that sinner's prayer forgot to read the warning label. It goes something like this. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. The words of Jesus. John 15, 19. Perhaps the new Christian wasn't told, Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word, your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake. Those that left the church because they were surprised by their persecution would not have been taken off guard if someone had told them, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated to all nations for my name's sake. Again, the words of Jesus from Matthew 24, 9. God is telling you this is going to be a tough trip. God isn't going to sugarcoat anything. God is not going to hide truth from you, and neither am I. Now, some young pastor may say to me, well, John, who's going to Join my church if I tell them this. No one wants to hear negative things. You're right. If you're interested in filling your church, then skip this part and just tell them about their destiny and the tenfold returns and mansions and being lifted up and the joy of helping and the joy of giving and all of those things. But leave the rest of it out. Leave the casting out out. Leave the hatred out. Leave the killing you out. Leave the affliction out. It works. I've been to churches 
that are bursting at the seams because, in my opinion, they're only telling half the story. If butts in the seats is how you feel you're helping the kingdom, now you know how to do it. Tell half the story. Neglect the words of Jesus. Neglect the warnings. But, if your goal is to serve God's purposes, if your goal is to fill hearts and not seats, then tell the whole truth. Listen, even the so-called Sermon on the Mount was preaching the whole truth. Sure, there are a lot of blesseds, but if you look closely, the conditions that lead to the blessed state are not all that comforting. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the, those that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted. That's the full story. Blessing and pain. Yes. Being a Christian is a blessed thing. But it's never been promised to be all cookies and ice cream. Have I convinced you? Do you see that this is, as I said before, a rough trip? Now, I'm not trying to scare you, of course. I'm not trying to discourage you, of course. I'm trying to prepare you. I'm trying to teach all of God's Word. I'm trying to get you ready for your assignment, your holy assignment. Holy in the sense that your role is a dedicated one. That's what the word holy really means. God has designated a holy purpose for you which is very specific for you, with a singular purpose. And you must be prepared. Do you see that? Is your mind set on the fact that you're on a tough road? I hope so, but that's not my message. My message is, for today, press on. My message for today is, despite the tough journey, God is aware of what's needed and He's devoted to preparing it for you. Why? Again, because it's He that's called you, and because of that, He has obligated Himself to equip you. I've said this before, if I told Samantha to sweep the driveway and I don't give her a broom and tell her how to do that, not only will she be frustrated, but the driveway won't get clean. Because the trip is tough, you've been given tough equipment. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass. Now let me say, if, if it just so happens that your favorite version of the Bible is not the King James, you may be wondering what I'm talking about. For example, the very popular NIV says something completely different here in Deuteronomy 33.25. It says, the bolts of your gates will be iron and brass. 
The King James says, Thy shoes shall be iron and brass. Two very divergent translations. And you know this sort of thing gets people all upset. Some say that this proves that the Bible is inconsistent, and since it appears that the translations of the Bible do not agree, therefore the Bible is unreliable. Of course, that's ridiculous. My friends, God knew what he was saying when Moses wrote this passage. Any and all inconsistencies are our fault, not God's. And yes, this is perhaps one of the most difficult passages in all the Bible to translate from beginning to end. The NIV doesn't have the word shoes. It says, the bolts of your gates shall be iron and brass. The international version says your bolts. There's a version of the Bible called the New King James. It says your sandals shall be iron and brass. Well, let's just take a moment to look at the original. This won't take long. The Hebrew word causing all of this confusion is men all. Men all is defined in the complete word study dictionary as being a masculine noun indicating a lock or a bolt used to secure something. That is men all. Now, the word men all is used only once in the entire Bible. And it's found right here in Deuteronomy 33:25, where it's translated in those various ways that I just mentioned. And that's part of the problem, is that it's not used but once in the entire Bible. So it's difficult for us to gather the true meaning. Now, what we could do to help us with this, to help us to understand the disparity between the translations, is to look at this word men all. See how it came into use in the Hebrew. See why it's used in this variety of ways. Remember, I've told you many times that the words in Hebrew can very often be traced back to what etymologists call root words. And these root words can be considered foundational. And it is these root, these foundational words that develop and change over time to become other words. It's very common in language, but it's a very useful tool when studying Hebrew to go back to the beginnings of these words to get a feel for what they... Remember, Hebrew is a very ancient language. It's only now being seeing some resurgence in the land of Israel. It's starting to be used more, but of course the language has changed considerably since ancient times, and it, it takes effort like this to try to work all of this out. So according to Strong's Hebrew and Greek dictionary, meant all is derived from the Hebrew verb not all, which means to fasten up with a bar or cord. And as we continue to drill down, we find that the verb na'el is actually derived from the Hebrew na'el. Now, all of this, of course, is 
reflective of Hebrew lettering and our attempt to translate them. So there may sound like grave differences or similarities in the pronunciations. It's our best effort to try to work all this out. Why do we go to so much trouble? Why do we take so much time to try to grind these things out, the difference between Noel and Nael? Why do we do that? Because God's important to us. Because what he says is important to us. We want to understand what God is saying. Every single word is a gem because it comes from the mind of the most heavenly, blessed God. None of it should be taken lightly. Not Al. Not El means a sandal tongue. Not El is at the root of not El. Not El at the root of men all. We're driving down to see what this word means because it's important to us. Is the translation important to us? Not as much as making an effort to find out what God is trying to say. Sometimes the English word isn't going to tell us the whole story. That doesn't mean we don't try. Na'el means a sandal tongue. And so sometimes Na'el actually gets used to mean a shoe or a sandal. For instance, the word Na'el is found in Exodus 3.5. The King James translates that verse as follows. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. That's not L. Shoes. In fact, if we looked elsewhere in Deuteronomy, we would find that in a couple of places, this foundational word, not L, is used very similarly. Chapter 25, verse 9, Then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders, and loose his shoe, not L, from off his foot, and spit in his face, and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loose, not L. And then Deuteronomy 29, 5, And I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxen old upon you, and thy shoe, not L, is not waxen old upon thy foot. In all of the instances, there's no way to mistranslate not L. Therefore, clearly the context of each of these verses calls for using the English word shoe or shoes. That leads us to believe, therefore, that the King James translation in this instance is correct. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass, because at the very heart is the word Nael. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass, and as thy day, so shall thy strength be. That's the whole 
translation I couldn't think of a moment ago. I'm not very good at memorizing scripture. Now, again, many of the other translations read the bolts of your gates, thy bars, and we can understand how they get that. Your locks. Okay, we understand how you get that. We're trying to figure out what men all means. It's defined in Complete Word Study Dictionary as meaning a masculine noun indicating a lock or bolt used to secure something. That doesn't eliminate the word shoe. We're looking at the word as deeply as possible so that we can get an understanding of what's going on here. We can come to a relatively confident conclusion that thy shoes shall be iron and brass is a proper translation based on the etymology of the Hebrew words. It makes sense. But that's not all that it takes. A moment ago I said, is that all important? No. We must look at what God is saying. There's more to it than etymology. Using the word shoe or sandal actually makes sense in the context of the passage of the blessing of Asher. You see, Deuteronomy 33.25 is a part of the promise to the tribe of Asher from Moses, the spokesperson of God. Part of the land that was allotted to Asher was rocky coastline. Now, when traveling through even the blessing of a rocky coastline with all its inherent beauty, there will be difficulty. There will be stones and rocks and pebbles that will impede your journey, and you must be protected. You will need a strong pair of shoes when traveling through the part of life that God has assigned to you. God knew that the land he was going to give Asher would require shoes of iron and brass. Rocky coastlines require tough footwear, and God said he will handle that provision. God is demonstrating his love for those that he's called. God is showing that he knows what lies ahead. God is saying, Asher, I know what's going to happen. You're going to need to traverse the land that I've given you, and it's going to be rocky. Therefore, I'm giving you shoes of iron and brass. But let's just say this. There's really no need to argue about this shoe thing. I never argue about God. I just... Teach it and let you decide. I always encourage you to do your own research. I give you as much help on that as I can. Now, I, I advise you to do your own research for two reasons. Number one, I want you to get in the habit of not just taking my word for it, not taking just your pastor's word for it, your priest, your minister. I want you to establish a firm foundation for your, for your own beliefs as much as possible. God has always intended that. 
God has always intended that his individual children will have a firm foundation in his word. That's why he gave it to us. That's why God has blessed us with thousands of years of scholarship. That's the first reason, is so you can, I can encourage you to do your own research so you can have a firm foundation for your own beliefs, that you won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, that you'll be firmly established. That's number one. Number two, the second reason I encourage you to do your own research is that invariably, when investigating one topic, we discover another. God's Word is so diverse in its application that you can hardly open the book without finding a promise or a comfort or a revelation for you. That's why I tell you, dig in. Dig into God's Word. You'll be so much the better for it. So back to what I was just saying. There's really no reason to get into a debate over the proper translation of 3325. Whether it be locks or bars or shoes, what God is telling us is that He will provide for us. He will provide everlasting strength, iron and brass. This world is tough. God knows it. He's not left you here alone, unequipped, ill-equipped. He will equip us for this assignment He's given us. You know, most people think that God protects them and strengthens them just because they're so lovely and lovable. Well, you may indeed be lovely and lovable, but God does what He does for Himself. Again, I'm, I'm sorry if that disappoints you. But God has a job for you. He's going to bless you for it. God is no man's debtor. He will bless you for it. You'll wonder why you had such anguish over the obstacles in this life eventually. We don't have very long here. Life is very short. Time is limited. And God is on a mission. You should understand that. Jesus did. And listen, God loves no one more than he loves Jesus. But making Jesus happy and comfortable and feeling loved was not God's priority. And Jesus knew it. Remember what Jesus said during that one moment he was in need that we were allowed to witness? Matthew 26, 39, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus was in need of comfort. If at any time Jesus needed a hug, this was it. But then he got a hold of himself and realized that this whole thing was about God. You know, people cringe when I say things like that. They want to take away from Jesus his humanity. Don't take away his humanity. It's part of what saved you. It's a part of what leads you and guides you. 
If Jesus needed strengthening, so will you. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou. Jesus understood that this life, this mission on earth, his humanity and his divinity combined into the body of Jesus, the son of Mary, wasn't so that he could have a great old time, just so that he could avoid the pain. And brother and sister, you didn't go through the pain that he went through. But you will go through your pain. How do I know? Because you've been given shoes of iron and brass. That should clue you right in. One time I was issued a flak jacket. You know what a flak jacket is? It's a bulletproof vest. I was given a bulletproof vest. That told me it wasn't safe. One of the warmest coats I ever wore, by the way. Something about that Kevlar keeps you warm. God is giving you brass and iron shoes for a reason. And it's not for your comfort. And if you think about it, there's really nothing comfortable about metal shoes. Yes, they will protect you, but it's going to hurt. It's a picture of this life. The journey is not without its pain, but in the end, you're protected and equipped. You will be able to carry on. The pain will not destroy you. God is interested in preserving us. He has taken that responsibility on himself, and he wants you to know it. Certainly, Deuteronomy is not the only place in God's word where he promises his provision. Ephesians 6.13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. What do you think you need armor for? Only those in battle and in war need armor. We taught on the armor of God, and there are two keys to the verse of Ephesians 6.13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. First of all, the armor that Paul advises us to take is the armor of God. Same thing. You're not going to be able to bring your armor to this war. You can't fashion armor that will protect you. You can't do what God has called you to do without the tools he's made. That's number one. The second thing to understand is that word take. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. In the original Greek, it's the word analambano. Analambano means to, listen to this. You're going to have to think about this. 
Anilambano means to receive something that is given, not something that's possessed. If you say you should wear a hat, I can either get a hat from you or get my own hat. That in the English, it means the same thing to take the hat from you or to take the hat from my closet. In the Greek, they have two different words. Anilambano means the hat that I take from you. It's not mine. It's not the hat in my closet. When we take the armor of God, it's not armor that we own. It's the armor of God. We have to receive this armor from God. We didn't take it to the field of battle ourselves. It was provided to us by God. He has provided armor for you to fight in his war. Your commander has given you the right tools. But there's so much more to it because you're in the blessed condition of knowing that your commander is also your loving father. And what you're receiving, you're receiving from your father. I mean, what father withholds what his children need? You must believe that. He will provide what you need. And Jesus made that clear. Luke 11 11 through 11, 13. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? What kind of father is that? Of course not. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more? Shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Listen. God, your Father, knows that your walk with Him is going to be rough. He knows that there will be challenges and obstacles. And so He set aside a pair of shoes made of iron and brass ready for you to use. The point of this lesson is not to inform you of all the things that are available to you. The point of this lesson is to provide you the knowledge that God cares and loves. The point of this lesson is to get you to see that no matter what he's provided for you, it is the right thing. No matter what situation your life is in, it's the right thing if what your aim in life is His will. You may not like it. There may be some tears. There may be some blood. There may be some pain. But what God provided for you, He provided out of love, honor, and righteousness. God is real. I think when we study Scripture and we see how He's taken care of us, like our armor or our weapons or our shoes, when we see that, 
we see that his plan is consistent and it's completely laid out for us so we can lean on him, not on our own understanding, but on him. Doesn't that make him more real? Listen, for most of us growing up in church, he either seemed too far away to get to know or too big and scary to get to love or simply too unreal to believe in. In the church services I went to as a kid, it seemed like the most important goal for me was to get to know the church, love the church, believe in the church. That was the message from the pulpit. God didn't even seem alive. He didn't even seem real. In the 70s, you remember there was the counterculture saying that God was dead? Remember that? And let me tell you, if you went to my church, it wasn't too hard to believe. We didn't spend any time, enough time, I should say, seeing God's plan. No one told us that God was in control. We were told the church was in control. This ministry is aimed at turning that around. We want you to get to know him. We want you to learn to love him. We want you to believe in him because, for one thing, those iron and brass shoes aren't going to do you any good if you don't know they're there, right? If you believe God is dead or he seems too far or too big or too unreal, You'll never take him up on his offer to provide for you. God wants you to know him because he knows that knowing leads to loving. He wants you to love him because he knows that loving leads to believing. And he wants you to believe in him because he knows that believing leads to life. You've been listening to Time in the Chapel, a weekly program dedicated to bringing you in-depth biblical study. Join us again next time as we search scripture to learn more about God in your life and you in his plan. Time in the Chapel is a service of Chapel Ministries. Chapel Ministries is a non-denominational ministry with a mission to feed hungry souls. Please consider supporting this program financially. For more information, please visit our website at www.timeinthechapel.com or email us at info at Be sure to look for us on Facebook by searching for Chapel Ministries. Click follow to get all of the latest information.